uh, that have been scattered because of Christmas. It's good to be together. Uh, Minister, of the word for us. Thank you. Apologies, folks, for me moving around a little this morning. We were having some technical difficulties with the sound. And also, when we close the door, it helps Rosina manage the children. So, so just forgive us for that. And I should have welcomed Sarah back as well. I'm sorry, Sarah, we missed you out. We're glad to see you back. And we're particularly glad to see Rosina and the children with us this morning. It's lovely to see them. Dudu's was explaining about Friday night. My fault is I'm not a good communicator. You know that, folks. Friday night coming is a one-off. It's a kind of get-to-know-you social evening for the folks that are coming to the gospel. So we're hoping the assembly will come. We're going to have some food. Please feel free to contribute food. We want all the folks that come to the meetings to come. And we're just going to have a weekend and night getting-to-know-you night. So that's the Friday the 13th. The drop-in will start on Monday. That's a week tomorrow at 11 o'clock in the morning, 11 to 1, and that's going to be a weekly event. So the Friday night coming up is just a one-off, can I get to know you, some of the folks that come to the gospel meeting and other activities. It'll be 7.30, I think, to Doozy, on, um, on Friday night. And then the Monday drop-in will be a regular Monday drop-in where we'll be having some soup and sandwiches and trying to encourage folks as that pass by and some folks that know to get to know them. So so that's that's the idea of that. So forgive me if I didn't communicate that properly. That would be normal for me. One other little thing that we should have mentioned actually on Thursday night at the prayer meeting. We have a big burden for the prison work, as you know, and one of the things we feel we really need in the prison work is folks to pray. Pray specifically and individually for people that we're working with. We won't be divulging any things that you sh we shouldn't, but we're going to start a little WhatsApp group that just will give names and circumstances of people particularly to pray for in the prison work. It's not compulsory, but if you would like to join that, I'll start it up and I'll put a link on the the Bensham group and if you want to join it we'd be really really appreciative we're very thankful for what we see but without prayer folks you know we really need folks to pray and we feel that that would be important for the for the next year so let's read in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 we're going to read the whole chapter it's got 18 verses it has been a little time since we've been in 2nd Corinthians so let's just a quick re resume of where we've been if you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they're two completely different letters. They're different in character. And a letter always has a specific reason. Isn't it? When you get a letter through the door, you almost know what the character of the letter is when it arrives, don't you? If it comes in a brown envelope from the, from the, the tax people, you know that they're asking you for money. Or if it comes in an electricity bill or something like that. But if a handwritten letter comes from somebody that you know well, you know it's a personal letter with maybe some news and, and things like that in it, or a card or something like that. So each letter has a, a character. And 2 Corinthians is a particular character, as opposed to 1 Corinthians. It's a very personal letter from Paul. He, he lets us into some secrets about his life and some of the things that he's been suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he, he doesn't do it in a boastful sense. He, he just kind of opens the door and says, listen, if you're going to live for the Lord, it's not always going to be easy. And he, he says, listen, let me, let me tell you about one or two of the things that have happened to me, and we've seen that you know, in our sufferings and our difficulties in the Christian life, the Lord will give us comfort. Now, I was thinking about that this morning. 
we mustn't think that the Lord has chosen us for a life of misery. Okay? Absolutely not. You know, we live in a hostile world, a hostile environment. So as Christians, we're going to have difficulties and problems and sufferings. But don't think that the Lord is an unkind, cruel Lord that's chosen you to suffer for a long time before you get to heaven. That's not the case. Because if you go to Philippians chapter 4, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. I know how to have enough and I know how to suffer want. And so circumstances in Christian lives are different at different times and it's not that the Lord says that now you're a Christian I'm going to make you miserable for the rest of your life we are going to have sufferings in the life but we're also going to have times of blessing and encouragement from the Lord and we must keep that in a balance and and Paul's personal letter here is showing us a little bit about what it's like to walk a hard path for the Lord and how the Lord can compensate for any difficulties we have it's also a letter of great care He's got a real concern and a care for the local assembly at Corinth. As a matter of fact, in chapter 11, he lists all the things that are worrying him. And the last one is the care of all the churches. And he says, you know, I've got a real concern and a care, not just for individual Christians, but for local assemblies. And I was challenged about that, folks, about my own life, how much place in my heart that I have for the the welfare of the local assembly and the folks in the local assembly. Do we want this local church to prosper and grow? And Anyway, that's that's what we do. John brought us up to date last time about the gospel. Remember that passage in 2 Corinthians 3 that contrasts the glory of the old covenant that the law had given on Mount Sinai. And it was glorious, but it it was a message of death, wasn't it? But the Gospels come in and it's just like a, the, the sun shining in the sky that, 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 that obliterates all else. The glory of the Gospel is a magnificent thing. And you know, the, Moses' veil was, face was veiled because he had glory when he was on Mount Sinai. How much more glorious is the, the revelation through the face of the Lord Jesus Christ? And John talked to us about grace, uh, justice and, and mercy and grace. There are at least three reasons why you and I live in the best period of history that it's ever been possible to live in. Nobody's lived at a better time than us folks. You know why? At least three reasons. One, we've got the scriptures absolutely complete in our own language, in our hand that we can read. You know, until very recently, Christians had to go once a week on a Lord's Day to a church to hear a man read one copy of the scriptures. And that was all they heard. And then they had to go away for a week and wait to come back and hear it read again. But here we've got the scriptures complete in our own hands every single day. That's a privilege that very few people have had down through history. We also live in the age of the Spirit. In a very real and special way, he's individually within every believer. He occupies the the companies of the Lord's people and he moves in the world. And the third reason is this, the gospel of the grace of God. We live in a day of the gospel of the grace of God. And that's what he's talking about at the end of chapter 3 where John brought us. So let's read, now that we've got that in our mind, let's see what it says. Therefore having this ministry, as we have received mercy, so... Hearing the gospel, knowing that we've received mercy, therefore, because of this, something happens. It's kind of logic. Because of this, this. And what he's saying, 
Because of these things I'm saying, the comfort of the Lord, the glory of the gospel, the ministry that's been committed to us, here's what our responsibility is. Listen to this. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. In other words, we don't give up. We don't give up. And with all that Paul tells you about his life and with all that other Christians have suffered, it would be the easiest thing in the world just to throw in the towel and give up, isn't it? You, you felt like that. I felt like that. And he says, listen, because of these glories that God has done and because of the spirit and the scriptures and the gospel, we don't give up. We just keep going. Even though it's hard, we just keep going. We live in a day and a generation where people give up far too easy. Far too easy. And I don't mean that just in terms of Christian life, even in terms of dropout for university and studying exams and committing to just normal things. People give up far too easy nowadays, don't they? Because we live in a, an atmosphere where people want everything just easy. Just give it to me. Just, just, just give it to me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Keep going. Don't give up. And whatever we do, folks, in our Christian life, don't give up. Don't give up. And if we really understand the glory of the gospel, no matter what comes our way, we won't give up. We won't give up. Here's what he says. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty and walking, and not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What's he saying? I'm honest when it comes to the word of God because there's people who are not honest with the word of God. I'll tell you folks, you don't have to look far to find people that are handling the word of God deceitfully and trying to use the ministry for their own ends. Paul says, I'm not like that. Folks, you find a local assembly with ministry that handles the word of God truthfully and honestly and is not after your money. Not after your money. And it says this, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, another way to put that is the gospel of the glory of Christ. It is a glorious gospel, but it's the gospel of the glory of Christ, isn't it? As opposed to man. The gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. What's the treasure, folks? It's the gospel, isn't it? It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has committed the preaching of the gospel to who? Angels. No. God could have given angels the job of preaching the gospel, couldn't he? But he didn't. He says, I've given the job of preaching the gospel to you, the greatest treasure the world could ever have. The glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has been given to us to handle and pass on. Why would the Lord trust us with that? I don't know why he trusts me with it, but he does, doesn't he? Look what he says. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, jars of clay. What's a jar of clay? It's not a very attractive thing. It's a very fragile thing. And jars of clay 
don't last forever, do they? I mean, they'll, they'll dig up brass and bronze, things that are more or less intact, maybe deformed, but intact. But they, what do they pull out of the ground in, in the Roman ruins? They just bring out little shards of pottery, don't they? Because it's temporary. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying the whole point of the gospel is to turn people's attention to Christ and not us. We've got the treasure, but the treasure's in the vessel. Not that we should attract attention to the vessel, but we should attract attention to Christ. And you can go way back to Gideon and the, the, the light inside the pots, and the light shines when what? The pots are broken. The rods are broken. There's a big lesson in that, but we don't have time for that. So he says, I'm involved in the gospel, but verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. <laughs> Folks, he's saying, because I'm a Christian and I've got the gospel, I've got my best life now. Perplexed, distressed, persecuted, cast down. The gospel's not about our best life now. The gospel's about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to turn your focus away from your best life now and look for the glory of Christ in your life. We'll say a wee bit more about that later on. Last section. For which cause we faint not. There you are, second time. He's not fainting because he knows about the gospel. And now because he knows about the resurrection, that God will raise up our bodies like the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, because I've got resurrection coming, that's another good reason not to give in. Another good reason to keep going is that we're certain of the resurrection. Though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment... Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Where we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So let's just say three things about this chapter. And I've got them here so as I'll keep, keep me uh, in time. Keep me in the right path. When we have this glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ... Wouldn't you think folks would receive it with open arms? Wouldn't you think when you presented the fact that Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, people would say, that's just what we've been waiting for. Tell me again, and I'll, I'll believe it. You would have thought when the Lord Jesus came into the world and displayed his glory, people would have received him, wouldn't you? But he came unto his own and his own received him not. So when you preach the gospel, when you're faithful to Christ and um, 
when things are not going the way you thought they were going, when floods of people are not getting saved, when you're suffering persecution, why not just give up? Why not just accept an easy life? Why not just say, I've got a ticket to heaven in my pocket. I'm not going to go through all those pains. I'm just going to fit in, keep quiet, go on, and in the end, I'll get to heaven. Why would you, why would you keep going? Well, this chapter gives us three reasons, at least, why we should keep going. And the three I've got up here is this. Three important principles. Oh, sorry. Sorry, folks, I don't know why I did that. <coughs> sorry, folks. What's happened here? Okay, I'm going to have to tell you what they are. Three important principles to keep going. One is this. The power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. The gospel has not lost its power. It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And God commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has commanded, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The reason we keep going is the gospel has not lost its power. The gospel is as powerful today as it was on the day that Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved. Time has not diminished the power of the gospel. And Paul said to the Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone that believeth. And the word is dynamis. And people say that's the root word for dynamite. There was no dynamite when Paul was around. Paul had no idea what dynamite was. So how could he be thinking about dynamite? But what happened is the people that invented dynamite found this Greek word called dynamis that talks about almighty, wonderful power and they said, we're going to call this substance dynamite. And Paul said, you know what I'm going to call the gospel? I'm going to call it dynamite. And Paul says, listen, the gospel's the power of God and he's committed this gospel to us and he's promised to bless the gospel so I'm going to keep going because the gospel has not lost its power. That's one reason to keep going. Second reason to keep going is this. Practical Christian living. Christian living makes a difference in your life. It doesn't deliver you from the problems, but what it does, it gives you a supernatural strength to overcome the problems of practical Christian life. If you're going to live a Christian life in your natural strength, you're going to last two minutes. You're going to last two minutes, aren't you? You're going to throw in the towel and say, this is too tough for me. And you'll be absolutely right. But Paul says, listen, there's resources for the practical Christian life that really will keep you going. And he says, listen, I've been troubled, right? But you know what? I'm not distressed. And we'll look at those phrases just to see what he means by that. He says, I'm, I'm suffering, but there's a limit on it. Folks, let me tell you, God knows what you can take. Right? We don't know what we can take. But God knows what we can take and he's promised never to push us too far. He's promised to do that. Now sometimes we don't understand that and sometimes we think we're being pushed too far. But you remember what he said in 1 Corinthians 10? God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able but will in every circumstance make a way of escape. Right? And Paul saying, listen... I'm getting into difficulties, but I know I'm trusting in the Lord because my practical Christian life is in the care of the Lord and the Lord's going to make sure he's not going to push me too far. He's never going to leave me alone and he's never going to leave me without the stuff that's necessary. That's the second reason. Third reason is this. He takes the perspective of eternity. 
You see that bit at the end? For I don't look at the things that are seen, but I look at the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporal, the things that are not seen, they are eternal. And what he's doing is, he's taking God's view of the thing. He's looking at it from God's omniscience and God's sovereignty. And he's saying, when I see it all in the end, from God's perspective, I'll realise that he was in control. So I'm not just going to look at my circumstances with blinkers on. I'm going to look at my Bible and I'm going to look at eternity. And I'm going to see that when eternity comes, do you know what he's going to say? It's not even worthy to be compared. See, I'm not even going to, I won't even think about it when I get to heaven. However difficult the life has been, I'm not even going to think about it when I get to heaven because the compensations will be so magnificent. You folks know I love to fly. And, and the smaller the plane, the better for me, to be quite honest with you. And if I'm in the, if I'm in the left-hand seat, that's even better because I like to control it. But... Um, you know, if you look at, if you go a wee walk around Bencham just now, right, okay, there are some pretty miserable back alleys in Bencham, folks. I could take you to some, you know, in, in, these, in these houses, some pretty miserable places. But see if you get in a wee plane in Newcastle Airport and you go about 4,000 feet and you fly up the Tyne from, uh, from Tynemouth and you fly, fly west up the Tyne and you look down at Bencham, it takes on a completely different perspective. You see it in a different way altogether. And Paul's saying, listen, if you just look at your circumstances, if you just say, poor me, why am I suffering? Isn't it bad? Isn't this terrible? All you'll do is make yourself miserable. But if you can stand back and you can see it from glory and see it from heaven and see it from eternity, you'll realise it is marvellous what God is doing. So there are the three kind of things I want to, I want to, to, to talk about as we... Take ten minutes to talk about it. Let's read it carefully. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. What's Paul saying? The first thing you need in your Christian life is determination. Determination. Make up your mind that you're going to keep going. Do you remember Daniel? Remember Daniel being shipped into Babylon? Terrible place for him to go. Do you know what it says? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the, the portion of the king's meat. He just made a decision. He just says, I'm determined to live for God. And Paul said here, because of the glory of the gospel, you need to be determined to live for God. Now listen, folks. I at one time fell foul of a, of a, a little phrase, let go and let God. In other words, it's not to do with me, it's all to do with God. Now, I understand what that means, folks. I understand what that means. That nothing we can do is of any value without the Lord. Right? I understand that. We have to completely yield and surrender to the Lord. But, you know, if you read in Philippians chapter 2, listen to what it says. It's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, in other words, it's all of God. But you know what he also says? Wherefore, my beloved brethren... As ye have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, make up your mind that you're going to be determined to live for God. In other words, give him your best. And the Bible's full of work and toil and strive and obey, isn't it? Not because that's the way God is glorified, but God's pleased to add his blessing to our obedience. Remember that word I was talking about in Thursday night? Confluence. Where two rivers come together and the, the waters mix 
and become as one. When It's not that we do our part and then God adds the bit that we can't do. That's not the way it works. What it is is that we obey and God pours his mighty blessing down in our obedience. And Paul says, listen, because I am confident in God and I'm confident in his power and I'm confident in the gospel, I've made up my mind. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm sticking to it. I'm going all the way. I'm going right through with God, right to the end. So what does the Lord say? The Lord says, you put your hand to the plough and you look back. What are you? You're not fit for the kingdom. That doesn't mean you don't fail and you don't stumble. That's no, we're not talking about perfection here. We're just talking about a determination in your heart that you're going to set your mind and your heart to please the Lord in all things. And he says, because of the gospel and because of the glory of God, I'm just decided right now. I'm not going back. I'm not giving in. Whatever it takes and whatever comes my way, it's Christ for me. It's Christ for me. Have you made that decision? Have you? Now, I'm not asking if you're saved, but have you sort of purposed in your heart and made that decision that this is it? This is not part time for me. This is not half, half, half measures for me. Whatever comes my way, I'm keeping. He says, "I'm, I'm, I'm determined. I'm determined." We need to be determined Christians, don't we? Our nation needs determined Christians. So many Christians, or apparent Christians, are given in, aren't they? Given into the culture, given into the political opinions, given into the, 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 the moral standards of the world. Paul says, listen, I'm not doing that. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we faint not. And he says, listen, here's what else I'm going to do. I'm not just going to talk to you about uh, um, uh, determination. I'm going to talk to you about the need for honesty and transparency. Hmm? Look what he says. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. In other words, what you see is what you get with me. I'm not, I've not got two sides to me. I, I'm, I'm not dishonest. I'm not speaking out of one side of my mouth when I'm speaking to you and another side of my mouth when I'm speaking to other people. Uh, what you hear me say to you is what you'll hear me say at all times. Now, I'm not talking about being rude and arrogant and unfeeling, but I'm just talking about being consistently transparent and honest. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm not telling you, Corinthians, what I won't tell the Galatians. I'll not tell the Galatians what I won't tell the Ephesians. We're just consistently determined, honest and transparent. And he says, is this... Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Handling the word of God deceitfully. You've already got a, a, an example of that in your mind, haven't you? Remember the, the devil in the wilderness when he took the Lord? He quoted the Bible, didn't he? But he quoted it deceitfully. Out of context. And with a different purpose. The evangelical world is plagued with people who are handling the word of God deceitfully. Who are taking it out of context. It's the easiest thing in the world to take a Bible verse out of context and make it mean something you don't, it never meant in the first place. Philippians 4 is the classic example. I'm down, on the, I'm down on the starting blocks. I'm doing the 100 metres and I want a gold medal in the Olympics but I haven't trained. Right? 
And when Usain Bolt's right beside me. That shows you how old I am. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can beat Usain Bolt. That's not what that Bible verse means. The Bible verse means that whatever circumstance I find myself in, God will give me the resources to cope. It doesn't mean I'll always be living a victorious Christian life on the crest of a wave. It just means that whatever circumstances you're in, you can trust him. He'll give you what you need. If you need to struggle through an illness, do you know what? He'll give you what you need to struggle through an illness. If you're unemployed, he'll give you what you need to struggle through unemployment. If you're bereaved, he'll give you what you need to struggle through bereavement. This is not a genie in a bottle magic wand. This is not a wish list that you bring to God and say, give me what I need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is you submitting yourself to the Lord and saying, Lord, whatever you send my way, whatever you send my way, I know that you'll give me the strength to get through. So don't be trying to run against Usain Bolt, okay? Because that won't work. So he understands that and then he says this, look, he says, not handling the word of God, but manifestation of the truth, commending yourself in every man's conscience in the sight of God. He's saying, listen, folks, I'm speaking to you as though I'm speaking in the presence of God. I'm not, we're always in the presence of God, folks. We need to commend ourselves to each other's conscience in the sight of God. We're dealing with each other before God. And he says, I understand that. And I understand that not everybody receives the gospel. If the gospel is so powerful, why doesn't everybody receive it? Well, here's the answer. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ should shine in unto them. There's an enemy of the gospel. Now, it doesn't steal the gospel of its power. Do you, do you know what I've been seeing? Have you seen people with virtual reality headsets on? Eh? And you see them in their own front room and they think they're somewhere else and they fall about and they do all sorts of strange things because they've got virtual reality headsets on. The devil has got virtual reality headsets in the whole world, hasn't he? It's not that they're blind in the sense that they can't see light. They're blind that they can't see the spiritual realities of eternity and heaven and hell because the devil's got them blinded not just by not seeing but by filling their mind and their eyes with other things. The God of the world has blinded the mind of them that believe not. And so he's got an absolute confidence in the gospel and he says, for we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. It's a terrible thing when the preacher only talks about himself, isn't it? Isn't it? And certainly in the gospel we want to hear Christ in the gospel. And he says, here's the power. For God who commanded the light to shine in the darkness hath commanded, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, God Genesis 1, who's been doing the Bible reading scheme? Eh? Who? Let me tell you, it's not as easy as you thought it was, is it? To be disciplined to do it. But remember in Genesis 1, in creation, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God speaks in the gospel. The light shines. Nothing can chase it away. So why do we pray for the gospel meeting? We don't pray for the gospel meeting because we think our prayers are the important thing. We're asking God to shine light into people's heart, aren't we? God speak. So when the man that stands in the corner there, we're wanting God to speak. We're wanting God to command the light to shine into the darkness, aren't we? Second little section. He understands that he'll never be left alone. Just read it quickly. Perplexed, 
No, sorry. We are troubled on every side. Do you know what that means? I'm feeling the pressure. I'm feeling the pressure. Troubled on every side. I'm being pressed in. And he says, I'm feeling the pressure. You feeling the pressure as a Christian? You feeling the pressure to find time to read your Bible? To gather with the Are you under pressure? Are you under pressure to, to, to be a Christian in your workplace? He says, I'm under pressure, but I am not distressed. I, I am not distressed. Means I'm not hemmed in. There's always a way out. I am perplexed. That means he's not left with his, without resources. But I am not in despair. I've not lost all hope. I'm persecuted. I'm mistreated. But I'm not forsaken. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That little section says it's certainly not your best life now. It's not your best life now. Folks, just be real. Christian life takes discipline, obedience, and will take you to places in your life where you come into conflict with the world. But tell you this, he's not left you without resources. He's not left you without resources. Let's finish off with this. The second, the last thing is, he understands an eternal perspective. He doesn't look at things from the now. He looks at things from eternity in heaven, and he compares. Look, look, look what he compares. He compares physical weakness with spiritual strength. For our outward man perishes, but our inward man is renewed every day. Yesterday, I got a message, actually it was during the night. A brother called Colin Wright, who lives in Ballyduff, went home to be with the Lord. Eighteen years ago, Colin Wright got Guillain-Barre syndrome. If you know what Guillain-Barre syndrome is, it's a dreadful thing. Some people recover, some people don't. A big man called Colin Wright was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life, almost paralysed for the, the neck down. And last night, or the night before last, I got a message during the night to say he got home to be with the Lord after 18 years. His outward man perished. His outward man perished. And ours does as well, doesn't he? We're deteriorating every day. We are. I used to go and see Colin when I was in Northern Ireland and I would go and I would say, I'll go and give Colin encouragement. Right? Exactly the opposite was true. Every time I went to see Colin, it was him that encouraged me. He was a glorious, glowing example of the inward man being renewed every day. You see, you're going to have sickness. You're going to have problems. You're going to get old. But God renews your inward man every day. That's a promise. And he doesn't just compare that. Look at what he says. He compares affliction with glory. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a more eternal weight of glory. He says, I've got my suffering now in the light of the glory that's to come. And he says this as well. He says, it's all in the balances, for we look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for heaven to come. My best life is then. My best life is then. My best life now. So I'm going to finish. And I'm going to do something unusual. Not like me to do something unusual. I know that. But I'm going to do something unusual. When I was a boy, in the assembly of 250 I was in, every Sunday night before the gospel meeting, we would have half an hour and we'd go out into the town for an open air. Now, the town I was brought in, as you can imagine, was pretty rough. 
hard drinking Airdrie it was called and we'd go up to Airdrie Cross and a, a brother would have a wee pedal organ and he'd pedal this organ we'd sing a few hymns and then a few brothers would preach but before we would preach we would meet half an hour earlier to pray and we knew we were in for trouble when we went out in the open air we knew we were in for trouble because a hard drinking place like Airdrie they weren't wanting to hear the gospel at Airdrie Cross and so before we went out we would always sing a hymn and it's never left me. And it was a hymn called, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, I'm going to face struggles and I'm going to face problems. But you know what? It will be worth it all when I see Jesus. I won't even think about the troubles. So you heard the music because I'm going to, I'm going to play it to you. And I'm going to let you see the words because this is exactly what Paul's talking about as he gets to the end. You don't have to sing, and I'm not going to sing. all going wrong forgive me for that there it is it's a beautiful hymn it will be worth it all when we see Jesus it will be worth it all when we see him life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ one glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase so swiftly run the race till we see Christ we need to make up our minds and maybe this will be the first day you'll ever have made up your mind like that. That would be a great day, wouldn't it? If your life was totally and utterly determined to serve Lord. Let's give thanks. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the worship. Thank you, Lord, for your work. And we just are challenged as we think of the need just to be those that don't faint. Help us, Lord, as we go just to be able to serve thee in a way that's pleasing to thee. Remember those that are not with us, we pray thy blessing on them and give thanks for the refreshment now in the Lord's name. Amen.